0: Well, Oregon State is unquestionably a program on the rise at the moment under Jonathan Smith. So as the Big 12 has been lobbying for quite some time to get Pac-12 schools, why not Oregon State?
1: You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Locked On Pack Twelve. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. We're talking Oregon State today and much more about the Beavs, which means we have Carter Baines, beaverblitz.com, senior editor and writer over there, also at the 24-7 Sports National Writing Desk. He's big time now, but he makes time for us, and we very much appreciate that. So Carter, Oregon State represents a smaller school compared to others, but there are small schools in the Big 12 as well. So when I ask you that question, why is an Oregon State ever mentioned as a target for the Big 12? They've gone after Arizona. They've gone after uh, Colorado. We know
1: that. Why not Oregon State? I mean, I think the short answer is just that the value add isn't really there. Um, And as you dive further into that, you get into the TV markets, you get into alumni base, um, all, all of these factors that kind of Uh, account for how much money a school can provide to a conference. And frankly, this is why Oregon state hasn't really been in conversations for any conference other than the PAC 12. It's just a small TV market. Um, You know, the, the ratings are just not there on game days. And, and frankly, I think the only way that Oregon state would be an attractive target for a conference is if it kind of piggybacked with one of the other prominent Northwest schools, such as Washington or Oregon, but as we know, Oregon and Washington aren't really on the Big 12's radar either. So, um, I, yeah, I guess the, the short answer there is Oregon State just wouldn't add enough value to the Big 12 um, to the point where, you know, if, if Oregon State joins the league, the schools that are already there are going to take smaller cuts of their revenue sharing model uh, to accommodate for Oregon State joining. So um, financially, it just doesn't make sense for a league outside of the Pac-12 to, to add the Beavers right now.
0: Yeah, I, I find the calculations for what makes, you know, a valuable addition, I find it to be fascinating because when you look at Arizona, for instance, now I believe Phoenix is a higher rated media market than Portland, which mm-hmm. is where, you know, it, that's the biggest media market available to the Beavs. Obviously they have fans that go throughout the Northwest, but we're talking about the immediate geographical area. It's... It, it's it's Portland as kind of like the most attractive you know part of it there Phoenix bigger market than Portland I believe according to the Nielsen ratings so that that could be a component but we see brands elevate beyond what their market indicates they should be able to draw Oregon is a great example of this another one at the G5 level is Boise State Boise State's in a tiny market I mean Boise is, is like Idaho as a whole is not a big state. It's not a very well populated state, but those two schools get an average viewership that goes well beyond what you'd say. Oh well, you know the market size is is really really small, so the upside it isn't there. I think for Oregon State, there's no reason they can't become a more watched team in in college football. I think scheduling would have to would change, which I'll get to in, in a sec, but. I think that's kind of the the model for them if they're thinking, you know, whatever may happen. Let's say the Pac-12 stays together now, but things start to teeter again five, six years down the line. I think if you're Oregon State, you have to be thinking about, okay, can you build up your brand as a college football program to make you make yourselves more appealing to the Big 12 as, you know, a potential fallback option? And I'm just saying that in the context of we have no idea what the future is actually going to look like because we don't even know what tomorrow is going to look like.
1: It's interesting, too, that that idea kind of goes both ways in that you see UCF and Houston and Cincinnati joining the Big 12, um, larger markets, but smaller schools, whereas Oregon State's larger school, smaller market. Um, so obviously the Big 12 was was leaning towards the big markets, um, you know, obviously programs in football that have been successful in recent years there as well, but um, banking on these schools taking advantage of uh, greater levels of resources upon joining the big 12 to elevate their brands, which is, I mean, exactly the same model that Oregon state would have to follow. It's, um, you know, it's, it's producing on field success sustained over a long period of time. It's uh, producing professional caliber players so that, you know, people on Sundays are talking about Oregon state. Um, It's, it's all of these factors that go into building your, football program's brand, which as you mentioned, I mean, nobody on the West Coast has done a better job of that in the last 20 years than Oregon. Who's to say Oregon State can't do something similar if it starts to find on-field success? You know, the the resources are obviously, there's a discrepancy there. I mean, Oregon has a greater... I was going to say, Phil Knight's
0: name is going to come up in
1: this conversation here momentarily. Right, (laughs) exactly. But um, no, I mean, I, I think you see it across the country too. I mean, look at the SEC. There are big programs in the SEC that come from small markets. Um, you know, every, Georgia, the, Georgia and Alabama are not giant exactly, markets per se. Exactly. I mean, Georgia has Atlanta, so we'll give them that. But Alabama okay, that's true. is, I mean, Alabama is technically a small market team. Uh, Mississippi State, everybody on the West Coast knows who Mississippi State is because of its success in baseball and football. Um, that's a small market. So, you know, I think r- really it comes back to winning. If Oregon State consistently puts together 10 win seasons over the next 10 years, um, I, I think they'll have conferences knocking on their door, but right now, uh, the track record of success isn't there. The brand is not big enough. And certainly the TV market doesn't help, but doesn't help. But I do wonder as we go into, um, this next age, where I, I think streaming will become a, a bigger part of college sports, how much do TV markets actually matter in a streaming era? You know, at that point, it becomes That's more about question. alumni base and... Um, national interest rather than, you know, how many people are living in the city of Portland, which obviously is where Oregon State's biggest alumni base is. Um, You know, I think that becomes less of a factor moving forward when people on the East Coast have just as much access to an Oregon State football game than people in Portland.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a really interesting point on on, on the streaming component and whether or not that will continue to matter. I, I guess, you know, the population of the area, can still play into that because that can affect how many people are, are going to you know tune into the streaming surface locally. But getting, yeah, I, th- I think that's an interesting question. By the way, whiff on my part on missing Atlanta is a major market. Nielsen's got it uh, number six in the country. So that's an o- oversight for me. But that's why I've got Carter here, right? Someone's got to keep me in check for all my insanity and my crazy, wild, horrible, no good, very bad college football takes that you all continue to listen to, which I very much appreciate, by the way. But I think the other thing for Oregon State is, if you're going to build up a brand, you've got to have games that people are going to want to watch, right? You have to win at a high level. You have to do stuff that, you know, gets on people's radar, but you also have to be able to schedule the sorts of games. Part of your TV viewership in a given year is who do you play? You know, Oregon State, the last couple of seasons are playing a pair of Mountain West opponents. That's good and fine, but that feels more like, you know, 2015 Oregon State in terms of the matchups they can get versus, you know, like, for example, they went to Ohio state, I think years and years ago, 2018, 2018. Yeah. They were down at, at that time and didn't really, you know, have a, a snowball's chance in hell to win that game, but going forward, and this is why I wish scheduling was done on an annual basis. I feel like after the season, Oregon state had a year ago, Ideally, if you're trying to think about maximizing your television viewership and your brand as a program and you want to elevate that, maybe not to even be attractive enough to Power Five conferences one day, but just to continue to grow within the conference that you're currently in, which is what Oregon State is more trying to do, you want to play those sorts of games that are going to draw an audience beyond just Pac-12 fans. And to do that, you have to be able to get quality
1: Power Five non-conference opponents and schedule a home and home And naturally Oregon state was playing those top tier opponents during the down years. And now that the Beavers are actually consistently good, they're starting to play mountain West opponents. So it's kind of going opposite of, of um, you know, how you would theoretically draw that up. I mean, Oregon state made trips to the big house. They went to Michigan, they went to Ohio state, um, you know, went to Wisconsin about a decade ago, hosted Wisconsin, um, played at Purdue last year. So, I mean, See Oregon why did they
0: why did it, why did they get away from
1: that stuff? You know, really, it was the fan base was kind of clamoring to to step away from it because Oregon State frankly didn't stand a chance in those games. But now that it does, I think now is the time to bring it back. Right? I mean, yes, there is something to be said for racking up wins against Mountain West teams and you know helping your bowl eligibility, um, you know your your odds of getting to the postseason and whatnot. I think Oregon State's beyond that now. You know, it's already put together a ten-win season. Now it's about proving that you can go head to head against the very best. Um, they do have a home and home scheduled against Ole Miss coming up, I believe. I the like that. The decade. Um, Great. Which is can't nice.
0: can't can't wait can't wait to watch it when I'm. I how old 30. am I even?
1: <laughs>
0: oh yeah. goodness, we're too old. Yeah. We're too old for that. You know what? We're never too old for though continue looking for jobs over at LinkedIn Jobs. Because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. I'm sure conferences would use LinkedIn Jobs if... You know it was applicable in that particular area for you know who's the best candidate and this that and the other thing linkedin jobs can help you do that and help you find the right people for your team faster and for free go in there post your job add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one. That's numero uno in Spanish, delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast
0: Network. Your team every day. Our daily second segment sip out of the way so we continue on. Let's talk about actual football here, Carter, which is a wild concept in 2023 to talk about football. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. So. I've been thinking quite a bit, because this is kind of what I do. I just think about this stuff all the time. It's how I'm able to bring you content every day all year round, or at least that's what I try to do. The biggest question for every team that will kind of define their season. For Arizona, I said, is their defense going to be better? Because I know they're going to score points. Jane Delora, T-Mac, Jacob Cowing. I think they've got solid pieces along the offensive line. They have a preseason uh, all-conference nominee along there. The Wildcats do. So I think that they have enough offensively. But it's, can they do enough defensively? For Utah, is Cam Rising going to play nine healthy Pac-12 conference games? Because if you told me right now he has to miss one or two, what? which one or two? Is it when they play Colorado or is it when they play USC? Because those are very different things. For Oregon State right now what's the biggest question going into
1: 2023 the big picture question is can oregon state sustain success over multiple seasons um but i think if we're talking about on the field x's and o's how do they get there the question for me interestingly enough comes on the defensive side of the ball which was oregon state's strength last year but that was kind of a one-off you know when oregon state was building up in the early years of the jonathan smith era an offensive first team that had to score forty points to keep up with its opponents because it couldn't stop anyone. That kind of flipped last year. Kind so of flipped. Kind kind, kind <laughs> of flipped. What does entirely flipped look like to you? Yeah. Yeah. No. It, it. No. You're right. It entirely flipped last year. Oregon State was winning games in the the low twenties. Um, you know, one of the best defensive teams in the Pac-12, and kind of a middle of the road offensive team. Uh, you know, it was a a run first offense behind Damian Martinez, Deshaun Fenwick, uh, Jam Griffin, and you got you got what you needed out of the quarterback position more often than not. But um, you know, Ben Gilbranson and Chance Nolan obviously didn't win you any games with DJ Uy- Uyunglele stepping in. I, I think your offense returns to the level that you saw in the first few years of the Jonathan Smith era. But then Oregon State loses a bunch of its veterans on the defensive side. So do things kind of start to shift back to, um, you know, what we saw in the, the 2018 to, to 2021 era of this rebuild? If that's the case, um, you know, it, it comes back to how good is the defensive front? Can the defensive secondary um you know, prevent too much of a drop off after losing veterans like Rajon Wright, Alex Austin, Jane Grant. Um, you know, those are those are obviously very big shoes to fill. Those are you know all Pac-12 caliber players. Um, but I think Oregon State very quietly has built a, a significant amount of depth on that side of the ball uh, over the last couple of years. This is a program that very often relies on its veterans to come through late in their careers, um, and it, you know, I think you see in 2022, uh, going into 23, a lot of guys stepping into bigger roles as sophomores and juniors, and and that's kind of the Oregon State model. If that pans out and Oregon State doesn't really take much of a step backward on the defensive side next year, this team is more than capable of winning 10 games. It could make it to the Pac-12 title game. Um, and that's where your conversations about Dark Horse college football playoff contender come in. But if the defense does take a step back, if it can't overcome the losses from last year's kind of breakthrough group, um, that's when I think you start to have concerns about Oregon State's ability to replicate the success it found last year.
0: I wanted to ask you as well about the uh, Pac-12 media preseason all-conference selections for first and second team. Oregon State showed itself very well in in those selections from the Pac-12 media members. I was not a voting member, which was very, very hurtful. They didn't ask me, but... Maybe one day. Boys can dream. Anyway, so Oregon State, five players, uh, three on the first team, two on offense, one on defense, and two on the second team. Uh, no surprise that Damian Martinez, a first team running back, along with uh, my guy, Bucky Irving, at uh, Oregon. it's a talented pair of running backs there. Also, very different styles, those two. Martinez, kind of the physical, downhill runner, one-cut kind of guy. Bucky Irving is like an 18-cut kind of guy he is jump dance jitterbug zigzag you know tornado around through through the circle just shows you there's more than one way to to get the job done there but no surprise that Martinez the reigning freshman of the year is is in there just one defensive player well I guess six if you put Anthony Gold uh and or seven sorry with and and Silas Bolden in there on the special teams uh as well as returners which is a testament to the the caliber of players that Oregon State's got At at certain key skill positions, but offensive line, running back, and return game, you have those offensive or you have those all all conference caliber players. And the offensive line, Max Chadwick of PFF is really high on it. He thinks it's a top five offensive line in the country coming into this year, based on how they ran the ball last year, based on how they performed last year with you know limited quarterback play. Hard to not see how how that is the case with the guys that they are bringing back, but. Was there anything else that stood out to you about the media's preseason teams and Oregon State's presence on there or maybe a lack of presence in in some areas like
1: wide receiver, for instance? Well, I think the big thing is Oregon State had as many offensive first team, uh, you know, preseason. Let me rephrase that. Oregon State had, Oregon State tied for the most offensive all Pac-12 first team preseason selections. Yep. With Utah. Uh, Oregon State, I believe, was second overall when you throw in the defense and um, special teams guys. Oregon State has as much top-end talent as any team in the Pac-12 this year. Is what that means. Um, you know, Oregon State has the best returner in the Pac-12, and Anthony Gould, who was an All-American last year, it has arguably the best running back. It probably has the best offensive line. We'll see if Oregon's group is as good as it was last year. I wouldn't sleep on Utah. Utah's very good as well. I think I,
0: I think Utah, Oregon. If I if I had to guess, just like kind of spitballing here, I'd say Utah, Oregon State, probably USC, than Oregon. Oregon's got a lot of turnover for the offensive
1: line this year. A lot. Yeah. Um, so the, the point being there, I mean, Oregon State's identity for years has been um, kind of a smash-mouth football team that's going to you know dominate the point of attack, run the football. Um, and what better year to do that when you have – arguably the best offensive line in the conference, potentially the best running back in the conference, and a quarterback who is going to help you balance out the passing game and running game a little bit more than you did last year. Um, When you look at the all-conference caliber offensive weapons that Oregon State comes back, I think it's it's very clear that the Beavers are going to take a step forward there. Special teams, I mean, the importance of having Silas Bolden and Anthony Gould on special teams cannot be overstated special teams won oregon state a couple of games last year the oregon yeah. game for instance yeah. quite literally yeah i mean this oregon state's returners are some of the best in the country as they proved last year um, you know i think they they were very close to the national lead for for touchdown returns gould had a couple and uh, I, I believe bolden has had one as well and they're also good they're also good receivers by the way right yeah and, and i think this is what makes the the pairing of of dju and this oregon state offense so exciting is you know he's going to be behind an offensive line that's going to give him all the time in the world to operate and it's not like his receivers are um you know it, it's not like there's questions at receiver there, there are depth questions but at the top end i mean oregon state has two of the fastest players at the position in the pac-12 in in golden and uh gould and bolden but it also has a bunch of young guys who i think are, are ready to step up now that some of the veterans are gone. You know, Tyjohn Lindsay is gone. Uh, Trevon Bradford no longer here. So, um, you know, they're going to be looking for some guys to step up, and, and and that's a room that Oregon State Quietly has been building for some time. So the offensive weapons, as shown on the, uh, the All-Pac-12 preseason list, uh, no shortage of them. Again, just comes back to can the defense uh, produce a couple of players that can contribute to a level where at the end of the season we're talking about them as all conference performers
0: here's the question I have about the offense and I hinted at this a moment ago I think it's a fair one Silas Bolden and I just blanked on uh, and and Gould Anthony Gould those two guys are are small kind of gadget guys good receivers can catch passes can maybe go over the top but they aren't that Kind of ex-receiver, big body, the role that Trayshawn Harrison filled a year ago. And he, of course, made that spectacular play to help Oregon State, uh, you know, pull a rabbit out of the hat against Stanford there in in the middle of the season. And keep their, their momentum rolling, really, as they, you know, started 0-2 in conference play, kept things going. That was a key moment for it. I look at the receivers in the Pac-12, and there are a lot of good ones. Troy Franklin didn't even make the first or second team uh, you know, preseason all Pac-12 list. You've got a bunch of—because you just have so much depth. You have Roma Dunze, probably a first-round receiver. Franklin, probably first- or second-round receiver. Dorian Singer can play in the NFL. Jacob Cowling is wildly productive. Jalen McMillan is really good. Like, Keep going down the list. J. Michael Sturdivant at UCLA, I think, is a great pickup for the Bruins offensively, offensively to help whoever— ends up being their quarterback there who is that guy for oregon state who's kind of your number one outside receiver target because dju you know didn't have everything that he needed to succeed at clemson i don't know that they were short on receiver talent so i think it's a fair question to ask if, if he doesn't have that sort of guy to go to the way he probably did have at clemson is that going to be a drawback at all? Or do you see someone who can kind of step into that role? Because gadget guys are good, but I think you need that one, you know, central wide receiver.
1: Yeah. I mean, Oregon state hasn't really had a bona fide go-to guy since Isaiah Hodgins left a few years ago. Um, You know, Trevon Bradford kind of filled into that role uh, and then Treshaun Harrison kind of picked up, but it wasn't like you had one guy who was significantly uh, receiving more targets than the others I think this year, Anthony Gould is probably that guy, you know, he's the veteran presence. He's been there for what, probably four, almost five years now, if I can remember correctly. Um, you know, guy who, who knows the system, who's obviously going to to help DJ settle into the, the scheme. Um, somebody who took a huge step forward last year. And I think now as the guy in that room, um, you know, maybe they they design things to to go his way a little bit more. Silas Bolden is probably your big play threat, um, somebody who's going to line up on the outside of the field, um, and if you can get him the ball in the open field, uh, he's a scoring threat every time he touches the ball. So, I mean, those two guys, as we've talked about the last few minutes, I, those are the, that's the one two punch at receiver. Those two guys are going to lead the team in receptions. I couldn't tell you right now whether Gould is going to, you know, lead by 20 catches or if Bolden's going to contend and they kind of split the the duties of the go-to guy, I couldn't tell you right now. Um, the question for me is where do they go outside of those two? You know, I mentioned a, a bunch of young guys. Oregon State has, uh, like, probably three, maybe four true freshmen who are capable of playing right away this year. Um, we didn't get to see all of them in spring camp, but I'm curious to see how the freshmen contribute in the fall and and maybe into the season. Um, But outside of that, I mean, you don't have a guy coming back outside of those two at the top um, who has proven to be a reliable target. So where do you go outside of that? Uh, I I guess we'll find out. I think that's where the freshmen come in, but um, I I can see why wide receiver might be a bit of a a concern from the outside, but I just think the talent you have at the top combined with a quarterback who knows how to get guys the ball. um, I think Oregon State will be fine.
0: I don't think it's a concern as much as it is just a question that's sure. out there. You look at the best offenses in in the Pac-12, and they have those sorts of guys. Doreen Singer and Mario Williams at USC. Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan at Washington. Troy Franklin and whoever ends up being the number two, maybe Treshawn Holden at Oregon. T-Mac and, and Jacob Cowley, And that's kind of the guy who uh, I think that's the best example. is Bolden is, is very much, and so is Gould, kind of in that, jacob cowing mold and i'm i'm thinking about you know who's going to be the t-mac right tetaro mcmillan down there at at arizona like who's kind of the complementary piece the other style that sort of you know at oregon last year it was troy franklin number one chris hudson was a number two jordan addison was uh, a number one they had a bunch of guys usc is a little bit different but that's a that's a good segue into our last topic here and this is a mailbag question you can always be a part of the mailbag whoever you are however you're listening or watching YouTube comments are always open or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or LO underscore pack 12. This one from Mark. Okay, here's one I have been chewing on. What offensive or defensive schemes are the best in the pack today and historically? Is the spread offense the undeniable winner in both categories? Thanks for making the most every morning. Thanks for making most every morning a podcast morning. That's how we roll around here, my guy, your team every day. So defensively, I don't know that that's quite as interesting of a conversation because it's really just about having personnel and making the right play calls. You can like three, four, you know, four, two, five, I think is a really hot defensive formation right now. It is very, very popular because you're in a pass happy world. So it's basically having an extra defensive back on the field. It's the offense I want to talk about in the context of Oregon state. When you think about the teams that make the college football playoff, Carter, very rarely, if ever, do they look like Oregon State's offense, which is exactly like Utah's offense? I'm not saying they can't win a Pac-12 championship, but if you're thinking down the line, do you think they have to not necessarily change, but just evolve to a more spread, explosive style to keep up with the high-flying offenses in
1: in the Pac-12 and across the country? It's a good question. I don't think so because... I mean, you mentioned the similarities to Utah. Utah won the Pac-12 two years in a row, uh, you know, made it to the Rose Bowl, was knocking on the door of the college football playoff, running a very similar system what Oregon State runs, you know, kind of a smash mouth, um, you know, short yardage game, really utilizing the tight ends, which if I go back to the previous question about, you know, who who aids Oregon State's receivers, uh, it's the tight end position. They have like three or four guys who can make contributions there. Um You know, I think as you rely on your offensive line uh, to open up things in the run game, your tight ends to give you eight to 10 yards over the middle, I I think that works for Oregon State. You know, I mean, the Beavers were one of the better offensive teams in the league going into last year um, over, you know, a stretch of multiple years. Obviously, we haven't seen them compete at the highest level with this offense, but um, you know, coaches around the conference around the country rave about what Oregon State brings to the table uh, with a running game that is it's hard to scheme against a play action game that it sets up very nicely. Um, so I think I, I think there's something to be said for going against the grain. And, uh, you know, when you have teams that are scheming week in and week out for, uh, you know, these high octane spread offenses and then you match up randomly against a pro style team in Oregon State, you um, you know, it, it forces you to change some of your tendencies and forces you to, to, to change some of your schematics on the defensive side, which I think can kind of, um, I, I think can kind of play a, a beneficial role for Oregon state in standing out there. I think it helps them stand out for sure. Cause
0: there aren't as many teams that, that do it that way, but I almost wonder if we'll see a little bit of this transition this year in that compared to what you saw from Oregon state a year ago, Will you see more shotgun straight drop back passing sets from Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith when you have DJ Uyunglele in there? Like, I think that, I, again, I don't think they need to completely change everything. I mean, Georgia goes under center a good amount, but Georgia's also in shotgun quite a bit. Georgia's also kind of the exception, right? And you can be a power running team like Michigan, for instance, and get to the playoff, but they don't look like it, it's it's a power spread you know, which is kind of what Ohio State ran with with uh, with, with Urban Meyer back in the day. They're kind of that power spread. I think it's too early to tell because Oregon State's still kind of early in their uh, ascension here to answer the question that, that I asked you in full. But I think it's an interesting one to kind of uh, follow
1: along as the years go by. Yeah, and, you know, I think Oregon State probably isn't going to make wholesale changes to the offense with DJ coming in. Um, this is a guy who chose Oregon State because of the scheme that it ran last year and, and the year before, you know, when he was doing his homework on programs that he might want to join. He identified Oregon State because it is a pro style system that he thinks will better utilize his talents than more of the RPO scheme um, that, that Clemson was using. So I think in particular with him coming in, that's kind of a telltale sign that Oregon State's going to stick with what has worked in, in years past and just do it at a higher level with better talent.
0: Carter Baines, beaverblitz.com, senior editor and writer over there. Also, the 24-7 Sports National Desk doing plenty of writing. Go check him out, at Carter Baines. That's B-A-H-N-S on Twitter. For those of you listening, Carter, thanks so much. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, have a wonderful rest of your day.
2: When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96%